Now, our Bible reading this morning is taken from the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12, and we're going to commence reading at the verse 1. Let us hear the word of God. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one that members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministry, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth an exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, and honor preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things. But consent to men of low estate. Be not wise in their own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirsteth, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own infallible and inerrant word. Now, my text this morning is taken from Romans chapter 12 and the verse 2, and my theme today is entitled, Mind Renewal in a Mindless Age, or Transformation by the Renewing of Your Mind. Now, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 is one of my favorite passages of Holy Scripture. And one of the first that I can recall memorizing when I was in the ranks of the faith mission in Edinburgh many, many years ago. Now, usually I would preach on verses 1 and 2 together and have done that in the past. Or 
begin a little mini-series of, say, five or six messages to understand here the full import of what the Apostle Paul is teaching. Now, today I want to focus merely on one phrase out of verse 2. I want us to think of the words, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. This morning, I want to focus primarily on mind renewal or mind transformation. Now, these words, the transformation of your mind, have been in my heart and mind all week. And I I want us uh, to consider that today. I would love to have had another week to to study this theme. Um, It's a very, very big theme Uh, And I trust today that uh, what the Lord has put in my heart will be uh, uh, applicable and helpful to you at this time. Now let's set the context for what the Apostle Paul is saying here. The Apostle Paul has just completed 11 chapters of what I believe to be the best doctrinal teaching you will find anywhere in the whole of the New Testament. From Romans chapter 1 through 11, to me, they stand out like a series of theological discourses. I believe it's the nearest thing to a systematic theology in the Bible. In chapters 1 to 3, he deals with the whole doctrine of human sinfulness. Man, remember, is presented in the Bible as a totally, utterly depraved sinner before God. His will is dead. His affections are diseased. His understanding is darkened. He can render no spiritual good to God to save his soul. Paul then outlines from Romans chapter 3, verse 24 onwards, right through to chapter 5, the great doctrine of justification by faith alone. In chapter 6 and 7, he deals with the doctrinal aspects of sanctification and holiness and the believer's struggle with sin. We all struggle with sin. In chapter 8, he deals with the doctrine of the believer's eternal security in Christ. In chapter 9, he talks about the doctrine of election and the sovereignty of God. In chapters 10 and 11, he talks about the role of Israel and the doctrine of future things. Now remember, in these first 11 chapters of Romans, they stand out like a mini systematic theology. Paul is dealing with doctrine. He is setting forth doctrinal themes. But then beginning in chapter 12, he turns his attention to the practical application of that doctrine in the life of every true born-again believer. The Apostle Paul is deeply concerned that every true born-again believer would begin to put into practice in their individual lives the great truths that he has now taught them in the first 11 chapters. So Romans chapter 12 onwards are intensely practical. Now, I want you to understand today that the order is very important. It's, it's highly significant. Paul has been doctrinal in the first 11 chapters. In other words, he's saying, here's what we believe about the doctrine of sin, 
the doctrine of justification by faith alone, the doctrine of sanctification and the believer's struggle with sin, the, the doctrine of the believer's eternal security in Christ, the um, uh, doctrine of um, election, the doctrine of the sovereignty of God, the, 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 the biblical teaching about um, Israel and, and the doctrine of the future things. Here's what we believe. And now he's going to be very practical. And he's saying, this is how, on the basis of what we believe, how we ought and must behave. Now, this is how the Apostle Paul handled all his epistles. And I want you to follow the logical order. The doctrine is set forth first, and then the practical outworking or the practical application of that doctrine. And I say that for this reason. Remember that belief and behavior go hand in hand. You cannot divorce them. I don't want you young people ever to think that doctrine is boring or that doctrine's impractical. Or I don't want you to think that your practice can be divorced from its doctrinal foundation. It can't. Listen to me carefully, young people. What you believe this morning impacts on the way that you behave. And I want you to remember that all of these practical exhortations that I've started reading there in Romans chapter 12 in particular are but the fruit of God's salvation. They're but the evidence of one who is truly born again of God. They are not the ground of our salvation. Paul is not saying do these things as a, as a means to get saved. No. Doing these things are not the means or the ground of our salvation. This is but the practical outworking of God's justifying and sanctifying work in us. Now look with me at chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. See, here's his target audience. Brethren, he's addressing the people of God. He's speaking to those that are saved, those that are genuine Christians. And he's saying to them, I beseech you, therefore, it means in light of this doctrinal teaching, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, which is the least you can do. See, young people today, the Lord doesn't want a part of you. He doesn't want half of you. He doesn't want five-eighths. He doesn't even want seven-eighths. He doesn't want 99 keys of your life out of a 100 so that you can hold on to one key. He wants all of you this morning. Do you know that he owns you? Remember what we read there in the book of Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, Paul writing to the Corinthian church said, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. If you're redeemed by the precious blood, 
If you've experienced God's justifying grace through faith in Christ, then you this morning belong to the Lord. You are his. And in the light of what you believe, and in the light of the great doctrine of salvation, you are to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. Paul is saying, this is the least you can do. But notice he doesn't stop at verse 1. He not only calls us to present our bodies, he commands us, if you look at verse 2, a negative, and be not conformed to this world. In other words, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold of thinking. And then he commands us positively, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That, notice the word that, it's a demonstrative, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, as part of Paul's instruction in the practical application of the doctrine, he commands us, if you notice the text, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. He's commanding us to renew our minds for God and before God. And that is what I want us to think about today. Now, I've discovered that there's 132 references in the Bible to the word mind. I've wrestled with this text of Scripture, as I've told you all week. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, is one such reference out of the 132. And I would have loved more time and maybe even thought about doing a little mini-series on mind renewal. We would probably need that. So I'm not going to be able to do justice to the whole topic of mind renewal today. But what I want you to do, I want to set before you four things. I want you to think about the commandment of mind renewal. You see, these words, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, are in the form of a positive command. This is what God wants us to do as Christians. He wants us to engage in and enjoy the renewal of our minds. He wants us to be changed and transformed by mind renewal. You see, our minds can be influenced from the outside by the ungodly, anti-Christian world. You think this morning of the influence of television on our hearts and minds. Think of the influence of books and magazines, the influence of the internet the influence of man-made religion, the, the influence even of, of politics. You see, what I want you to understand this morning, that this word world, and we think about this word world, we have been growing up in fundamentalist reformed churches, and we have been made to think, well, worldliness has to do with dressing in a certain way. Worldliness has to do with drinking and smoking and going to the pictures and this, that, and the other. Well, it includes that. But I want to tell you that that's not the real meaning of worldliness. Worldliness has to do with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. 
And you see, this world that we live in it has an anti-God agenda. You've got to think of its attitudes to God and true Bible-believing religion. You've got to think of the attractions of this world, the associations of this world, the attainments of the world, or to put it another way, the paganism of the world, the, the pleasures of the world, the, the pursuits of the world, the, 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 the program of the world. That's what worldliness is. And through the spirit of the world, we are being daily and constantly put under pressure to conform to a worldly mindset and a worldly agenda. Paul is teaching here in contrast to that. We can be transformed from the inside out through the renewing of our minds. And I believe today that's very sadly and regrettably we live in a sort of a mindless society. I certainly acknowledge that there's no longer in the United States of America, in the United Kingdom and in Europe, a distinctly Christian way of looking at life. We have lost a Christian mindset. There is no distinct, distinctly Christian worldview, one that has God at its center, one that is based on the teaching of the Bible, one that brings to the four God's Ten Commandments. You see, one of the things that the ungodly anti-Christian world does that we live in is attempts to rob us of possessing a Christian mind. It attempts to rob us of having a Christian worldview. You talk to somebody about the Lord. You talk to somebody about sin and salvation in their soul. And what do they tell you? Well, that's just your opinion. But that's not what matters. It doesn't matter whether it's my opinion or not. What matters is, is it really true? Has God defined what sin is? Has God taught us about the immortality of the soul? Has God called us to personal faith and repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? You see, the world is attempting to rob us of a Christian worldview. I could talk this morning, if I had time, about cultural mindlessness. We could think about the causes and approaches because they're manifold, they're many, they're varied. Here's Paul, and, 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 and he's living in the first century, and he's dealing, dealing with secularization. He's dealing with a world of materialism. He's dealing with a world of moral relativism. He's dealing with a world of philosophical skepticism. And he tells the believers, and be not conformed to this world. As I've said, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Here's the negative before the positive. I want you to see that. You see, this word conformed means to, to fashion or to change someone into the likeness of another. But sadly, the change is transitory. It's unstable. It's on the surface. It's a mere uh, cosmetic um, an outward external change. Now we have some cracks here in the building uh, having been opened almost two years coming uh, this June and of course we're delighted with our new building but, but I see some 
cracks appearing on certain walls. And I was thinking of plastering over the cracks in the church. And of course, what would that do? That would be a change in the appearance. But would that be a real change? Would that be a change in essence, in the nature? No, that would be an outward conformity in appearance. And you see, the world wants us to have an outward conformity in appearance to its worldview. What the world thinks about God. There is no God. Or there's many gods. Or what the world thinks about the Bible. It's a book like any other book. It's an ordinary book. It's a book with error in it. Or the world's view of what sin is. You think of the evil of abortion today. You think of the evil of homosexuality. And and you see, it's based on man's opinion, man's view of sin. You think of the the, the teaching about heaven, the teaching about hell. Even some preachers tell us that there is no hell. Why? Because they've been influenced. They've adopted an outward conformity and appearance to the world's view about these things. Could I encourage you to remember what the Apostle James says? Over there in the book of James, in James chapter 4, and in the verse 4, he makes this statement. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Now, do you see that this morning? Here's the danger regarding friendship with the world. We are vulnerable and susceptible to such a worldview. And James says that if you do that, you'll be guilty of spiritual adultery. You'll become like a spiritual an adulterer or a spiritual an adulteress. True believers can be affected by this anti God agenda in the world. It's a real threat. You simply have to think about the life of many within the professing Christian church today. And what do you find there? You find the spirit of worldliness. They're living in conformity to the world's view. They're accommodating the world's view. Now that's not my big topic or or subject this morning. But Paul is teaching by way of a contrast, setting forth the negative command first, be not conformed to this world. And then he gives us the positive command, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't, Don't be conformed from the outside of the world. Don't be led astray by your own inward struggle with inward remaining corruption, but be transformed from the inside out through the renewing of your mind. That's the commandment of mind renewal. I want you to think secondly and quickly, the commencement of mind renewal. When did this begin? The answer, I believe, is that it begins with the new birth. It begins at true conversion. 
A true believer born again of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who now indwells that believer and leads and guides that believer. He causes that individual believer, be it man, woman or young person, to begin to think biblically. You see, the true Christian worldview is is not a natural thing. It's not something that he has inherent within himself. It is something that is implanted within the individual Christian the moment he's born again of the Spirit of God. And every true Christian, from the moment they're born again, will begin to think differently. They'll certainly think differently about God, who he is and what he's like and what he's done. I can remember before I was converted at the age of 18, I had absolutely no thought of God. And then through the preaching of the word of God, my mind was introduced to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And suddenly I had thoughts about God filling up in my mind. And the same is true about the person and work of Jesus Christ. And the same is true about the doctrine of sin. Before I was converted, I had no thought about sin. I, I, I could sin with impunity. I, 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 I never give it a moment's thought. That, that I was sinning against God in thought and word and deed. I, I never give it a minute's thought that, that every sin of thought and word and deed was a violation of God's holy law. I had no thought about my soul's salvation. I know the Bible says, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? We live in an age of materialism. An age when people want things and more things. But I was doing that before I was converted. But I had absolutely no thought for my soul. I had no desire to be saved. I never entertained the thought about heaven or, 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 or about hell. Why? Because I wasn't sitting under the sound of the gospel. But you know what the Bible says? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And you remember who Paul's target audience is. Underline the word brethren in verse 1. I beseech you therefore brethren. It's, it's the people of God. God has come to them. And through the instrumentality of their spirit, they have been made alive to God. They've been made alive to their sin, made alive to Christ, made alive to their soul and its need, made alive to salvation, made alive to the doctrine of heaven and the doctrine of hell. It's God's people that are in view here. Those who have tasted the, the mercies of God. Those to whom God has spoken. Those to whom God has revealed himself. Those whom God has saved. Look at this word transformed. But be ye transformed. That that Greek word is metamorphio. It's the root of the word metamorphos. Now metamorphos speaks of a change. And where does the change take place? It takes place in the inside out. You children who are listening today, you can remember back at school and you can think about the biology class, the caterpillar in the glass jar, the cocoon on the leaf. And then, of course, over time, a period of weeks, that caterpillar who was cocooned in that shell turned into what? A a lovely butterfly. In other words, there was a total transformation of its nature. It's a change that changed the very character and essence of the heart. And that's what Paul is saying here. 
literally be metamorphosed by the renewing of your mind. Remember the Bible says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, and all things have passed away, and all things have become new, and all things are of God. Could I ask you this morning to think of what was in your mind before you ever got saved prior to conversion? What did you think about? You know, the Bible has a lot to say about our thoughts life. What did you fill your mind with? Did you fill your mind with godless, selfless thoughts? Did did you fill your mind with ignorant and evil thoughts? You see, in Genesis chapter 5, before the flood, or Genesis 6 rather, in verse 5, it says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord, that he had made man in the earth, and it grieved him. Paul tells us in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 7, a very interesting statement, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Did you know that the Lord Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed what? Evil thoughts. And then he adds this. Adulteries, fornications, murders, theft, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. They come from the heart. You see, the heart is deceitful and above all things desperately wicked. Who can know it? But where does it start? Where does sin start? It starts with evil thoughts. Where does adultery start? It starts in a man's thought life. Where does murder start? Starts in a man's thought life. Where does fornication start? It starts in a, in a, in a man's thought life. It's interesting also in the book of Romans when Paul was dealing with the, the doctrine of um, the total depravity of the sinner. He, he said this uh, in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 1 verse 28. He says, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind or a mind void of judgment to do those things which are not convenient. It was Solomon that said in Solomon chapter 23 and verse 7, for as he that thinketh in his heart, so hath he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. Think of those words. For as he that thinketh in his heart, so is he. Here's a question this morning I have for you. Are you born again? Are you a true, genuine Christian? Was there a time in your life when you saw sin for what it is, a transgression of the law of God? And you discovered that you have a soul that you needed to be saved? And and you were told about the need of a wonderful saviour. You were introduced to him. You were told to come in simple faith and repentance to Jesus Christ. Have you, like Peter said, Lord, save me, I perish? Have you been like Thomas and uh, come to the feet of Christ and said, my Lord and my God, have you ever cried like the publican? God, be merciful to me, the sinner. You see, this morning, if you're not a true believer, you not only need your mind changed and transformed, but you need to be saved. 
You, that's the need of your soul. You see, if you have thoughts about God and the Bible and Jesus Christ, if you love him, what I'm saying, it's not there naturally. It's put there by the Spirit of God. And I ask, because he that thinketh in his heart, so he is. What consumes you? Is your mind consumed of the things of time and sense? Is your mind filled with all that's in the world? An age of materialism, secularization, hedonism and all the rest. Do you think anything about God? You see, if you think nothing about God this morning, if you're not thinking about Jesus Christ and the gospel and sin and soul and, and salvation, if you're not thinking about worshiping, praising the Lord God and falling down before him and saying, Lord, I'm yours, then you've never been born again. You, you've never been truly converted. You, you're, you're not a genuine believer. Because no child of Adam by himself, by his natural power, can, can save his soul or change his mind. Mind renewal can only come about by the grace of God. It flows from the grace of God. You can't change yourself from the inside out. Think about the commandment of mind renewal. Think about the commencement of mind renewal. I want you to think also thirdly of the continuation of mind renewal. You see, when you embrace this commandment, you discover, you know, this is not optional. This is not a suggestion. This is obligatory. So if we take that on board and say, Lord, by way of prayer, help me to obey this positive command, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind then how do you go about that? What's the process of mind renewal? Why the mind? Why did Paul not say, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your heart? Why did the Holy Spirit put in his heart to use the word mind? I believe the answer is simple because the mind is the real you. Over there in the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23, it says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Above all keeping, everything else that needs to be kept, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And the heart and the mind, of course, are connected. And I want you to understand the Bible does not bypass the mind. Because it's a reflection of who you really are. See, someone has rightly said, it's the mind is what rules us. All your actions, all your choices, all your decisions, all your emotions are all fed and watered by what? They, they're fed and watered by what flows through your mind and what stems from your mind. You see, what you think in your heart, what you think about yourself, about the world and God and, 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 and the Bible and, and church, that's what you are. Someone has rightly said, what is down in the well comes out in the bucket. Think again of Mark chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. It's, it's from what 
is within that flows out. Remember those evil thoughts. That's where sin originates. And what you think about, what you meditate on, determines the way that you will behave. And you see, this command is in such a way in the Greek New Testament that it's, it's a conscious, deliberate, daily action. It's something that we must do. And, and how do you do this? Could I encourage you this morning to um, confirm your salvation? Have you experienced repentance toward God and faith through our Lord Jesus Christ? Can you this morning not make your calling and election sure? Remember the man in Acts 8 called Simon Magus, and he wanted to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit with money. He professed to be a believer. He had actually got baptized into the church. And what did the Apostle Paul or Peter say to him? He said this, Thine heart is not right in the sight of God. He talked about him being in the gall of wickedness. You see, there's such a thing this morning as being corrupted in our thought life. And we need to make a discovery. Lord, my thoughts are not right. Lord, my thoughts are wrong. Lord, my thoughts are evil. And there has to be a confirmation of our salvation by a continual repentance of our evil thoughts. Could I suggest also that there must not only be a confirmation of salvation, but, but there must be a clarity of Scripture. Over there in the book of Titus, in Titus chapter 1 and in the verse 15, the apostle Paul writing to Titus said this, Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. You see, mind renewal really begins when you begin to deal with those impure thoughts that defile your conscience. And how do you do that? You do that by keeping short accounts with God. You, you do that by repenting of every sinful thought that comes into your mind. You repent of your sinful words. You repent of your sinful deeds. You plead the blood. Remember the Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Remember the scripture says in John 17 and 17, thy word is truth, sanctify them through thy word. And, and it was the Bereans that searched the scriptures more than they of Thessalonica. And, and they, they had a deep regard for what was in their heart. And they, they were willing then to, to, to have the clarity of scripture come and have a bearing upon their conscience and upon their lifestyle. And they were willing to deal then with their sin. And they were willing to list and itemize their sin and, and repudiate them and, and repent of them. Because I suggest also that you commit yourself to sanctification. You see, this has to do with heart holiness. We've already preached a series of messages on holiness. And holiness is a matter of the heart. Because what you think affects the way you behave. 
And if you have positive thoughts about the doctrine of holiness and the doctrine of sanctification, that will impact in your private life, how you live out life at the home, what you're like as a father, what you're like as a husband, what you're like as a brother and a sister. Remember Paul's advice to the Philippian church, and we're not opening up this text this morning. We've already preached in this in the book of uh, Philippians on the battle of the mind. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. There has to be a genuine commitment to sanctification. Be ye holy, for I am holy. There has to be the cultivation of what I'm calling spirituality. What do we do with our time? What, we, what about idle thoughts? What's our attitude to worldly things? You know, it's a sin to waste time. The Bible says, redeem the time because the days are evil. How much time would you spend with the television and the internet? In contrast to, to God and the Bible and to Christ. You see, are these things helping us spiritually? Are these things helping us to grow in grace and the knowledge of God? I don't believe they are. We need to cultivate a deep spirituality. Yes, we, we, we need to understand this morning that there must be a confirmation of salvation. There must be the, the clarity of the Scripture, allowing the Scripture to affect our very conscience. We must commit to sanctification. We must cultivate true spirituality. But we must also continue in prayer. You know, prayer, getting before God, getting alone with God privately and uh, publicly and filling your mind with Scripture and filling your mind with the Savior and, 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 and crying unto God and bringing your burden and lay them at His feet. I want to tell you, that's a tremendous way to help this process, to aid this process of um, uh, the transformation of your mind. There has to be a continuation. Could I close this morning? And I, I confess I'm only scratching the surface. There's so much I haven't been able to say. But I, I just want you to think of this. The constancy of mind renewal. The text says, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And in the Greek New Testament, the, the import of the words is, be being transformed. This is not uh, 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 something that just happens instantaneously. And then that's it for the rest of your days. This is an ongoing process. This is hard work. Remember, I've already said Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. The battle of the mind. You have to deliberately and consciously make a choice that you're not going to be conformed to the world, but you're going to be changed from the inside out by the renewing of your mind, and you're going to, to, to give yourself to that. It's important that you grasp and understand this, because this has an impact on how we live. So many Christians are defeated today. So many Christians are struggling. So many Christians are affected by the spirit of the world. And, and, and the church has been weakened. And the testimony of Christ has been weakened. And I think of the, the mental struggles of many of our dear people through a variety of circumstances. And perhaps we need to remember that there is an ongoing battle for the mind. And the only way we're going to get victory 
is to consciously and deliberately make a choice that we're going to give ourselves to the renewing of our mind. You see, our thought life is important. It impacts on how we live. And I don't want you to be defeated. I want you to live a life of power and victory. I I want you to to experience the joy of the Lord. I want you to know strength from on high. I I, I want you to know even the Lord's touch and the Lord's help in the the darkest valley, in, in, in the deepest trial that you're going through. When you're broken and reduced to tears, then I want to tell you, even in that situation, you can be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I've set before you this commandment. I've told you how it commenced. I've talked a little bit about the continuation of it, and I've given you some sub-points. But remember the constancy of mind renewal. From the day of our conversion and the day we enter glory, there'll be a constant, deliberate, daily choice. There'll be a battle going on for our thought life. And the only way we can get the victory is through our Lord Jesus Christ, through, through depending on him, And through committing ourselves to these things that I've talked about, salvation and scripture and sanctification, spirituality and supplication, may the Lord give us grace and wisdom this morning.